Greetings, and thank you for checking out this sermon from Kingdom Life Community Church in Morrison, Illinois. If you'd like more information about our church, go to kingdomlife.global. And now, here is the sermon from our pastor, Steve Harmon. So we are, we are living in some incredibly crazy times, are we not? I never thought in my lifetime, although I would be praying, that I would see Roe versus Wade overturned. I prayed for it. You prayed for it. But it is a miracle. It is an absolute miracle that that has happened. Um, that being said, I don't judge or hold any contempt for anybody who falls on a different ideology than I do. Um, I would debate it, but I, I wouldn't judge anyone. Or, and I certainly have compassion for those who have gone through that process. Maybe they've been deceived or lied to. Um, and, and I surely would preach the forgiveness of the Lord of all of it, and he does. But I'm telling you, man, I don't know that it gets better, but I do know that this was a miracle, an absolute miracle. And I know that the praying is not done, but I think it's a, a huge step anywhere between 65 and, and 70 million children that have been uh, destroyed in the womb. So I thank you, Father, and I know that um, the road going forward isn't easy, but it is right, and we ask, Lord, that you would just shower compassion and love and mercy on all of us, and Lord, there's going to be a, probably a lot of conversations in houses, a lot of, a lot of heaviness or a, a lot of joy, and we just don't know, but Lord, we know that you are the light, you are the love, and you are the truth. And help us to walk and stand in the truth of who you are while showing grace and mercy to those who don't know you yet. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, stand with me. I am a child of God. The Father loves me. The Father forgives me. The Father wants me. I am, his. I am his, he is mine. He is mine. Therefore, Therefore, my past, my past won't haunt me. The future doesn't scare me because in his presence is where I live. Amen. You may be seated. I didn't know those things were magnetized. Isn't that funny? I should never lose a pen again. Um, open your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Peter. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of not right up here, so you just have to bear with me. I think it was worship, and uh, I think I've just... Um, one of the words that came through as I was walking, looking for my son, was, uh, who's training, thank God, was... Um, uh, felt like we, we passed through 
the altar into the into kind of like the holy of holies in, in our worship and in, in letting heaven come. And man, I'm gonna try and preach, but I don't know if I'm gonna get it right. Cause I'm I'm just kind of moved by his presence here today. A lot of things going on in the world, a lot of things going on in our body, and a lot of things going on in families. And, and uh, when it comes right down to it, we have the Holy Spirit and we have each other. Amen? The body is more than a building. It's, a, it's, it's believers not being disconnected from each other, but connected to each other. So what happens to some of you in Clinton it should be felt by me here in Morrison or in vice versa or in Erie or Prophetstown or Linden or wherever else. We are connected. And that spiritual connected uh, thing, it, it's more, it goes far beyond just miles or distance. It's something that connects us as brothers to brothers and sisters to sisters and brothers to sisters. That even though our, our family may be spread out over uh, geography, we are connected spiritually, and what affects one affects all. And as we get older together, we should grow in connection together. Spirit to spirit, heart to heart. Loving one another, praying for one another, fighting for one another. Church is not a it's not something you do, and it's, it's not tradition, and, and it has become tradition a lot for people, and, and uh, it has become something that sometimes people just do, but it was, it was never intended to be that way. It was, it was supposed to be something that's living, something that's real, something that's true, something that connects hearts to heart. And it's very easy to, to think about church as something that we do on a Sunday as opposed to something that we are living every day. Amen? And so it's just a reminder. We need one another. I need you. You need me. We need each other. Life on this planet is, is not necessarily easy all the time. But we have something. And, and I've noticed that the enemy, when he comes knocking on, at the door with trials and tribulations or whatever else, that the number one thing he tries to do is isolate you from the shepherd and from other sheep. Thank you. He was up there. Okay, great. I was about to mobilize this whole church if he didn't come back soon. I didn't know where he was. We... But um, when trials and tribulations come, we, we need each other even more. We're brothers and sisters. It's not something that's cliche. It's something that's real and it's something that's true. And it's something I'm desiring to grow more into myself. And I'm not perfect at it. But I'm desiring to be better than what I was. And I'm desiring to be all that God has called me to be, just like you are. And we're on this road together. And I have so many imperfections, as you do as well. And we don't judge our imperfections, but we... We cheer us to go forward. Amen? That's, that's the desire of a body of believers. 
as well as praying together and asking God to open up the heavens and, and send his spirit. Amen. Wow. I have a word for you. I think I bet it's better on my phone. I think I have it. That's not my phone. Oh, I, yeah, my phone's down there. I had my I had my thumb on the text button. I was I was about to amass people. Okay, here we go. So we're doing some prayer on Monday nights, and I, I really want you to understand those of you who who um, the prayer started out. You know, at the be kind of the beginning of this year on Monday nights, it's just like, hey, listen, I just want like ten people, and we're just going to pray because I. Then I didn't choose those ten people; they came. I didn't, you know, I just wanted them to know that we wanted to meet every Monday night for roughly about ten weeks, and so it's something we hit the ten weeks. We began experiencing, you know, just God's presence and God's favor on Monday nights, and we started at about seven and. You know, sometimes it's 9.30 before we get out of here, you know. It's just, and it seems to go by fast. And so, uh, uh, and so it's been regularly roughly about, what is that, eight, seven or eight people, usually roughly about that. And so, uh, but it, it's, it's, it's not ex- exclusive into that nobody else can come. I, I want you to know that. We just started off with whosoever will, and I was hoping for 10, and I think I got eight, which I was very happy for. But prayer on, on Monday nights has been something that has been uh, just kind of powerful. There's been times when it's, God's presence has been really thick in the room. There's been times when it hasn't felt like other times, but we're still praying together and, and we're seeing results sometimes in what we're praying for. So I extend to the body the invitation on Monday nights. Um, it's, it's not just sitting around listening to worship songs. We don't do that. We sit, we talk for a little bit, and the rest of the time is, is prayer uh, over certain things. Uh, sometimes we have some things to pray for. Other times the Spirit leads us. It's usually both in, in how that works. And we're praying for this church. We're praying for a lot of different things. And so uh, it's, you are invited to be a part of prayer on Monday nights, especially now since Wednesdays is, is, is not on because we take a break in the summer. You can shift towards Monday night and, um, and come join us in prayer. And it's 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 kind of a sweet time, and, and we're noticing some things. And so some, something that we noticed last Monday night, um, I want to share with you a little bit, um, is, is kind of like, for those of you who've been in um, Elijah House, you've heard this term, destiny malaise, um, which is kind of like this, this kind of like confusion over your purposes, uh, you know, a, the enemy or whatever, kind of bringing chaos into your mind and it becoming hard for you to see what, what God is asking of you, and, and, and it's just kind of a, um, a state of confusion sometimes. And Well, the word malaise was spoken on, on Monday, and we were just kind of hashing over that, and then all of a sudden, the word cynical came. And so I was thinking about cynical, and, and um, I thought, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look that word up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what that word means. I mean, I, I, you know what it means, but you always want to go back sometimes to the dictionary because I found out that words don't, some words have multiple meanings, but a lot of times words have more than one meaning or a different explanation or a similar explanation, but sometimes in a different context in, in how it's used. And so I went to the word cynical, and we looked it up on Monday, and uh, 
I think we hit upon something. And I just want to read you the description. Cynical. S-Y-N-I-C-A-L. Believing that people are motivated by self-interest. Distrustful of human sincerity or integrity. And a sentence would be her cynical attitude, right? The second, concerned, and this is the one that really struck me. Concerned only with one's own interest, typically disregarding accepted or appropriate standards. Um, okay, here, here it is. Doubtful as to whether something will happen or whether it's worthwhile. Most residents, this is the sentence they use, most residents are cynical about efforts to clean up the mobsters out of their city. Right? That's kind of the how you would use it in that phrase. And so let me read it to you. Doubtful as to whether something will happen or whether it's worthwhile. And as I began letting that soak in, I'm, I'm thinking to myself and I'm feeling and, and kind of that group was in, in agreement. It, it feels like there's been um, uh, an orchestrated attack of cynicism in the church. It's not, not that we're disbelieving necessarily who Jesus is, but purpose and destiny, whether it's, whether it's your life or whether it's the, where the church is going, it's, it's like there's this struggle of is Will this ever really happen, or is this even worthwhile pursuing any more? And so the question is, you don't have to raise your hand, but if you could wink at me with your right high, have you struggled with it? With the idea of this cynical spirit, is it even worthwhile? Man, I don't see much happening. Is, is church worthwhile? Is prayer, does it even work? And we begin to, so let me tell you, I think it's, it's not just there's a spirit of cynicism, okay? I, I believe that that cynical spirit is also in the fallen nature of mankind, in the fleshy part of, of mankind. And so there's this, there's this default belief that comes from our, 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 what we were born into as sin that, that struggles to believe that anything is, is worthwhile whatsoever. I don't even trust your motivations. I don't even trust this. And, and so there, what that begins to do is you know, disconnect, not just from us, but from him. And so we live more like either atheists or, or uh, people who believe there's a God but don't believe he really cares. I forget the word. Not, yeah, Gnostic, yeah. But they, you, you live your life in a, in a form of like a half-religious kind of tradition sort of, sort of thing, but never really believing that God cares or that anything is worthwhile. You just, maybe you've got hell insurance. And you just live your life the best you can or, or whatever. Agnostic. You believe there's a God, but in, so disconnected, it's not like he knows who I am or cares about me whatsoever. 
And I feel like that, that cynical spirit is um, that, yes, there are demonic spirits out there, and, and, and sometimes we, we like to name them like a spirit of anger or, or something like that, but I don't know that there's necessarily a little demon running around with an anger name tag. I, I think they just do what comes natural, right? And so we, we might name it because that's the emotion we're, but uh, he's a demon, and it is what it is. And so they come and they do everything. It's who they are. It's from their fall. And we are born because of Adam's sin into that same type of sinful nature. So we come with everything predisposed in us that sin wants to do. Which is why it's so important as believers to understand what rebirth means in the Bible and what Jesus talks about. Because if you haven't been reborn, there is nothing you can do about the default sinful nature. It's going to manifest itself in your life and in your attitude. And if you're a believer who has been reborn, uh, it, it, it may not take your fire insurance, but it will take your effectiveness. And you will suffer a lot of times the same way that people in the world may suffer without any hope. And I'm not saying we don't suffer in this world as believers. Yes, we do. But our suffering comes with a purpose and also with a hope. And, and hopefully, if we get really good at this new birth thing, a joy. Otherwise, how do you even understand count it all joy when you go through various trials and tribulations? You can't. If you're not reborn, or if you are reborn and still stuck in the memory of a dead man. So this is why we have some of these scriptures of, of, that Paul talks about of, of you know, I am crucified with Christ. Is he, is he literally crucified? Did he stand on a cross and, and get nailed? Because some people do. I think it's South America somewhere. They, they take a cross and they, they literally nail each other to a cross to, to experience. I, physically, I don't think that's necessary. But there is something that happens that Paul talks about where he says that I am crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me, right? And so there's this thing that happens when I become reborn that it's like I, I know, like Adam and Eve knew when they bit into the law or the apple, right? Tree of knowledge of good and evil, which, you know, as I've been reading, I'm thinking more and more is really the law. They bit into it, and all of a sudden, they know something, but they have no power to do anything about it. And so they've, they've bitten this apple, and so all they know now is to manifest what disobedience and sin are. And so coming into the to rebirth family, being born again through Jesus means that now all of a sudden, the, the, the flesh does no longer has to be my default response. Now there's something that I have access to, and it's immediate through Christ right? And that's the download of the power of the Holy Spirit who brings power and gifts and fruit for character. And so now there's this conflict maybe that I know now that maybe I didn't know as much before I was saved. Before I was saved, I may even have a purpose or maybe I was just a nice guy trying to walk and get through life the best way I can. But all of a sudden, 
The Holy Spirit brought revelation to me, either through people or himself, of, of who Christ is and my sinful condition, and I, and I came to believe, and so now there's something that's transformed in me. I now have an understanding to some degree of Jesus, of the Father, of the Holy Spirit, who have saved me in my sinful condition, and now my life post that is about no longer being tied to the flesh, but now free in the spirit to live as he's called me to live. And, and I, can, I can try and mimic that in my emotions. Many people do. Why do I need Jesus? I, I've never done anything bad. I try to be nice to people. You, you hear that all the time. What is my need for Jesus? It's because we haven't done a, a good job maybe, or maybe there's a blindness of understanding what sin really is. And why the only way to deal with it is Jesus. This is basic or is basic for us. It's not basic for the world. But sometimes we forget these things. And so what begins to happen is, is uh, sometimes, you know, there's people, they, they, they got saved, and so now they're so on fire, and they're blah, 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 and then, you know, sometimes people tell them to calm down a little bit, or, or sometimes, you know, sometimes we try to harness people who are on fire for God and new believers. Danny, don't listen to anybody that tells you to calm down. Don't you do it. You listen to people who tell you how to grow and mature, but don't listen to people who tell you just to take it easy. Okay? All right. But you, we get so far past our reborn date, that, but if we're not going forward and we think we're just staying stationary, you're really not. You may be allowing the enemy to catch up to you. And at some point, you'll be going backwards. And you're going back into something that is really no longer your inheritance anymore. You're going back to the default attitudes of anger. Listen, this is why churches are full of angry, depressed people. No hope. Nothing going on. I've been coming to church for 20 years. and but yet People are still the same. That is not your inheritance. Now listen. What if I told you that I have a pot of gold for you, right? There's a pot of gold. Hey, look, I hit the Powerball, and there's money under everybody's seats. Right? Well, you ain't going to know unless you bend over and check. Or what if I told you you had, had, had buried treasure? What would you do? You, you'd start digging. You ever watch those... Oak Island people, they're searching for all this. I just heard the other day that they found this Spanish ship that has, it's the Spanish gold in it, it's something like $17 billion. Had I known this, maybe I'd have been searching, right? Because there's a treasure out there to be found. And there are some people who are relentless in pursuing Spanish treasure or Civil War treasure. There's movies that... that, that uh, what's, what's the name of that with um, Nick Cage? National Treasure, National Treasure yeah. Uh, I mean, it's funny, but it, it shows the pursuit that, that people will go to, to to pursue those types of things. And, and the thing that God gives you is like, for you, is like buried. 
It's a treasure for you to uncover. And, and there's no map. You don't have to look hard. You just go into the, the heart of, of who you are and realize that the Spirit of God is in there. So you're no longer going out searching for stuff. You're going in, uncovering the treasure that God has, has put in you. And, and, and that takes some effort. That takes some prayer. That takes some faith. It takes making some decisions that, that deal with this world and, and how you're going to live. So talking with my son the other day, I say, listen, there's two kinds of people in the world. I know there's more, but I just boil it down. There's followers and there's leaders. What are you going to be? And I'm basing this down into the idea of, of, of being a Christ follower, right? Yes, you're going to follow Christ, but when you get into junior high, and all of us who've been to junior high have an understanding of the struggles that can happen with junior hires, right? One of the first things that's attacked is their identity. Huge. Because they're no longer confined in their elementary one-class system. Now they're going out into the hallways of junior high and finding their different classes and running into people that are older than them. <laughs> Maybe getting picked on. You're a jerk. You're a loser. Blah, blah. Making fun. All these different kinds of things. And at junior high, when they're in that, you know, six to seven hours a day, and that's the main thing that they hear, it's good that we prepare them. Some people homeschool. I don't. Yes, Absolutely. We have, but we're sending ours back to, to school this year. With the understanding, it's like, it's really, this is kind of like life. You're going to face this at some point, and, and so I want you to face it kind of with me. I'm not saying I'll never homeschool again, but we're, we're, we're going back to school. And so I'm sitting with and I'm telling them, it's like, if, if you're going to be a Christ follower, then you need to be a leader in your school. Because you're going to get flack no matter what. You're going to face trials and tribulations no matter what. So why not do it in the pursuit of following Jesus? And so uh, the things that I talked to him about, it's like, listen, these are things that I didn't know about. That, I, you know, I, I could have used this, so I'm going to give this to you. If, if somebody would have, would have told me to, if you live your life, right, if you live your life by, by principles of the Word of God, then when, when decisions come down the pike later on, or temptations, you have something more to stand on when you're, when you're trying to, to live by principle of the words of God. So we were joking, I said, so what are you going to do if somebody tells you, hey, uh, uh, you want to drink alcohol? No. But why? Because it's, it's not good for you. Right. But there are people who aren't saved that would say the same thing. So what's different about you, about why you don't want to pursue alcohol? Right? One, you're too young. Right? So it's against the law. And two, what do you think it would produce in you? Okay, so what are you going to do if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, do you want to do drugs? Absolutely not. Okay, but why? It's not enough that I say, hey, just say no to drugs. 
Because if that's all I tell them, there's going to be, there could be someone who's, who's a great ex- explainer of the world and tells them why it is good for them. And all of a sudden, they're like, well, maybe I should try it. You see, the, Eve saw the apple, and it was good, right? Rationalized everything about it. And so she plucks the apple, and, it, and she eats it, and, and then death is produced from then on out. And so it's the same thing that goes on with, with our children in the world, right? If we don't teach them about principle, the just say no doesn't work. Why? And it used to be when you were raising children, maybe you who, uh, who are older, maybe heard it from mom and dad. It doesn't matter why. I said no. And that's the end of it. Okay, great. But what happens when I get out of your house? I don't understand the why about the no. And I need to understand the why. It's not being disrespectful to ask why. It's wanting to know what the principle is about it so I can live it, right? Some of you may be hearing this for the first time, the whys. Why why should I not sleep with another man's wife? Why does it matter? Why why should I not slander that my boss at work, he is an absolute jerk. He doesn't. He doesn't, he is a sinner, he is, he is a mocker of anything Jesus and blah, blah, blah. So I'm not going to put up with that stuff. What? Don't tell me to love people who hate me. It doesn't even make any sense. It doesn't work. Don't tell me to bless those who curse me. If you haven't told me why. And what's the why? What's our model? Christ. The Bible tells us that as he he stands before the Sanhedrin, as he stands, listen, he doesn't open his mouth to defend himself. He doesn't open his mouth to judge. I'm not saying he never said anything, but he never accused or defended himself. He never took up his right to say, you know what, Pilate? I know I created you, but I created you wrong, and you really are a jerk, so send the next guy in. He didn't say those things. And, and, and the Bible tells us, right, that we should be modeling Christ. And sometimes we're all about the power and the miracles, but we forget about the suffering that comes sometimes with it. And the things we must do when that suffering comes because it'll produce something in us, which is character. The character and the fruit of the Spirit comes out when we're tested. We have it all packaged, like in this gift, uh, but it's not unwrapped until the pressure hits us. And all of a sudden, somebody says something and we don't like. Forget the world. Let's, we know what the world does, but church... I'm not going to talk to her anymore. I don't like her. I don't like him. Just a jerk. You think these things aren't said in the church? You're crazy. We hear them a lot. The tearing down of of brothers and sisters while one hand raising our hand asking for the glory of God to, to come and fall upon us. 
it should not be with those who claim to be in his body. But we're so inundated with our rights. What we forget most is our right to remain silent. A lot of people have the right, but they don't have the ability. And so we look a lot of times more like the world than we do in this idea of church and how to live like a body is seen through a cynical lens. It's never going to happen. It's how is it going to be like this? How is this going to work? Oh, I just, you know, I can't stand that woman. She can't stand me. I, I, whatever. The pastor's too long-winded. He's too short. He's too fat. He's too thin. I hope, I hope they could say that about me someday. <laughs> he's too this. He's too that. Ben's this. Ben's that. Ben's better than Steve. Steve's better than Ben. All this comparison type of thinking, all of this anger and this cynical type of thing that comes in that says it's not worth it anymore is pervasive. And it's like a snake, serpent. So like in the world, there are pythons and anacondas, right? And you know how they kill people. I was just watching something the other day and I think somewhere in South America, it better be in South America, where they found this snake. I think it was like, it was massive. I think if they stretched it length to length, they said it was almost like three stories. Yeah, he was just, just this massive. And living in the Amazon, I mean, just, you know, he was just massive. They like, if it's true, they like had a crane and he was hanging off the sides of the crane and stuff like that. Regardless, it was big, Right? And so this is how this thing, what this thing does. It's got a tongue, and the tongue, it, it, it senses heat, and it senses things. And if, if, if it's that big, I'm going to tell you right now, um, there's nothing it won't eat or kill. You've seen, uh, if you've seen like uh, uh, these pythons that are killing and eating alligators, even down in Florida, because we have these invasive pythons now in the Florida Everglades. They found a... Uh, uh, Five or six foot one, weighing 215 pounds, a mother that was full of 122 eggs. But you want to retire in Florida? Okay. No, it's kidding. I'm, I'm glad for the winter, baby. <laughs> okay, but anyway, so you know, you see these things of, of, of these serpents, and what they do is they bite, and what they do is they coil. And if you're caught in the coil of this python, what it's going to do, it's going to squeeze the breath, right? It's going to crack ribs. It's going to crack bones. It's going to crush you, squeeze the air and the life out of you. And then it's going to dislocate its jaw, find your head, and swallow. And it may take it an hour or so, but it begins to force its prey down its throat. Doesn't chew, just forces it down. So sometimes if you go to Google and you watch how does a python eat, you'll, you'll see, and if it's big enough, you'll see like the shape <laughs> of this animal inside the python's belly as it's slithering away. Not a fan. Then there's these poisonous snakes, rattlesnakes right? Went to Zambia in 2003 or 4. 
and uh, walked out on a dirt track, got to Dave's house, and they, had a, they, they were renting a place, and this place had a dirt, Steve, you would have loved it, it was a massive dirt track, and, um, and so we're walking out there, looking around, and all of a sudden, I take a step, and wink, it was a tree snake, and they were poisonous, you remember that? And I was like, whoa, like this. And I think, like, Dave's sons were like, let's see it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I'm like, good Lord, that's the poisonous tree snake. <laughs> like, whoa. And then as we're driving on roads, there's uh, the pit vipers that would be warming themselves on the side of the road, something like that. There's cobras, right? <laughs> they wake up like that and spit at you. They're poison and, you know, the big things, you know. Australia's got some cruel snakes down there, man. Some of these snakes' venoms are so powerful they kill elephants or dim their lights. Like sometimes just a drop of this venom inside you is going to start dissolving tissue. It's going to start killing tissue in your body it, 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 instantly. And if you don't get help or if you don't get some kind of a jet, you're going to die from that poison. And so they hunt like a little mouse here and there and stab it. Mouse jumps, runs away, drops and dies. And he eats it. I've began to understand that the enemy is not one or the other. He is both. He is both a poisonous serpent and he is a python type serpent. His poison in his fangs are offense. Bitterness, anger, everything contrary to the fruit of the Holy Spirit. He desires to sink his teeth into you and poison you with. And then, for some, he also desires to coil around you like a python, choking off the life of churches and regions with hopelessness. And so our, our group was processing some of this Monday night. What, is this, what does this mean? And how does this, does this work? And it kind of, you know, when God gives a little bit of a revelation like that, it's like, oh, yeah. We have to be careful because we don't want to go so crazy and so focused in spiritual warfare that, there's some people out there that, that their life is all about that and they get shortchanged at the store and it was the devil that did it instead of somebody who's bad at math. So I, I'm not saying we have to go so far in the other direction that there's a devil around every corner, no. But we do have to be mindful of spiritual things. We do have to be mindful of what is going on in my life. Is this something that's, that is just... Life? Is this something that the enemy is coming against me at? And, and, and how do I deal with it going forward? And who do I get to stand by my side through it? So there are things that are set against us as a church. There are things that are set against you individually. All for one purpose. Your destruction. Stealing, killing, and destroying. See, the other purpose is that you may have life and have it more abundantly as an individual and as a group of people. 
enjoying individually the life from the vine as an individual, but then coming together and enjoying the, the life of the vine as, as a corporate organism together. And you, you don't get one without the other. And so it's like, where am I at in the midst of, of all these things? What is going on and how do I begin to deal with it? First, understanding what First Peter's going to tell you here, okay? Listen to what he says. He says, we talked about this, the beginning of this in two last week. So rid yourselves of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, right? Can you do that post or, or pre-Christ? You can do sin management. There's people who, who are not Christian that do not swear, right? There are people who are, are not Christian that maybe... Don't talk about people, yes. That, but, there's, but it doesn't mean that they're not sinful. It may be manifesting itself out in other ways. <clears throat> and we know that what Jesus said, that now it's no longer what we do, but it's the mind and the heart that gets wrapped around that as well too. So now it's no longer if I sleep with another man's wife. Now it's if I think about sleeping with another man's wife, it's if I've already done it. Who can be exempt from that? Nobody. Nobody. Because now your mind and heart is wrapped up. It's no longer just, I, I, I'm going to fool around with it in my mind, but I'm not going to do it, you know, in my reality. Jesus says, I, it's as if there's no difference. You say, that seems a whole lot harder. It is if you focus it from a law perspective, but it becomes a whole lot easier if you now begin to understand the power of the grace that's extended to you from him. Are you catching me? I can look at this thing and say, oh man, this just got harder in the New Testament. Now it's not what I do, it's what I think. But no, 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 no. What he's saying is the cross is so powerful, the resurrection is so powerful, that even though we gave you a greater understanding of the power of sin, now you have a greater understanding of the glory and the power of a Savior who saves you from it who transforms you from what you were. So now you are no longer a sinner who maybe sometimes does nice things. You are now a saint in the kingdom of Almighty God serving Him who sometimes messes up. There has been a change in your life. If you were in the army, it's what, that MOS type thing, that, that's who you are. It's like you, whether you're an engineer or whether you fix Jeeps or this, that, that's who you are. The army has identified you as that person. Well, in the world, you have been identified as a sinner, but God has changed your MOS, and now you're in the kingdom, and now you are a saint. And we, we have to, I think, get rid of the idea of I'm a sinner saved by grace. Because you define yourself when you say I'm a sinner saved by grace as to something you no longer are. You've been saved. He doesn't see you as a sinner saved by grace. He sees you now as a son or daughter. So now, it's not about a pride thing. It's about what am I focusing on? Because if, I, if I'm a sinner saved by grace, I'm always going to be this person who never measures up. But if I define myself as a saint, which Paul calls all the churches to the saints in blah, da, da. To the saints in blah, da, da. He doesn't say to the sinners. He recognizes that he is a sinner. He recognizes that there's things I don't like. You know, Romans, what, six or five? The things I want to do, I don't do, blah, blah, blah. He goes through that. 
But in once, after this dialogue of what I want to do, I don't do, and what I don't want to do, I, I do do, and all this kind of stuff, he says, well, what, what do I do? Well, I thank God and Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, who saves me from this stuff. That's it. He doesn't go through this long doctrine of piece by piece. He says, listen, the only thing I got in this struggle that I have is I thank God for Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, who now, I may still have some stuff in the body, but I, in my mind, I'm renewed. He talks about the, but you gotta understand, you're a son and you're a daughter. You're a son and you're a daughter. And I know that I mess up. I know that I fall short of the glory of God, but I'm not giving up my identity that he's spoken over me because he doesn't. So his grace grabs me from this area, pulls me, sometimes kicking and screaming, into this area. Daughter. Son. And just like children, sometimes you have temper tantrums. But he doesn't stop being your father. He doesn't kick you out of his family. He has adopted you into his family. And so because of that, he says, listen, rid yourself of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, and envy, and slander. Why? Because that root and that seed are no longer in his children. Are you hearing me? The root and the seed of of hypocrisy and malice and all that kind of stuff is in this side over here. It's something that's natural. It's what you were born with. But when you've been transformed, the blood of Jesus, like a scalpel or like a, a spoon, because it hurts more, get, digs that stuff out, digs out that root. That root. You are no longer a part of that system over here. You are a part of a kingdom, and there's been a new seed that's been deposited in you, and it's growing, and all of a sudden what's going to sprout out from that is the vine, what's going to sprout out and what's going to happen is it's going to bear fruit, fruit of righteousness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, right? All of that stuff. So now you can rid yourself of malice because you've been cut off from its root. John the Baptist He's getting ready to lay the axe to the root of all unrighteousness. Baby, the axe has been laid to your roots of unrighteousness. What you need is the revelation of it and then the determination and the perseverance to walk in it. Not saying it's always easy. But the journey never is. So I can rid myself now of of malice, of deceit, because I recognize it. And the choice then comes of whether I'm going to feed on it or whether I'm going to, again, lay that ax to that root and say, no, that's, that's not my inheritance. I may feel like I have the right to have malice or deceit or any of that kind of stuff, but I'm not choosing that because I've, I'm different now. I'm different. When you first came to Jesus, there were some things that stopped immediately. There are things that have taken some time. 
I understand that. Some of the things that have taken time are showing us the grace of the Lord in the midst of it. So now he says to him, you are no longer, you can rid yourselves of this. You're going to be like, but you can rid yourself of, of it, right? But you've got to fill yourself with something else. Remember what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about demons? You can cast a demon out of a person and it goes out into waterless places and then it comes back and it finds the house he left swept in an order but nothing in it and nobody living there. So he goes out and gets seven more demons and the second state of the man is worse than the first, right? I kind of tie this together. I can try and rid myself of malice and all this different kinds of stuff. But if I'm not feeding myself the word and the spirit of God daily, what is, what is in me then? What is in me? So he says, you need to desire, like newborn infants, the, the pure spiritual milk so that you may grow by it. For your salvation, since you have tasted that the Lord is good. Coming to him, a living stone. Who is so Paul's going to talk about, too, he's going to talk about a spiritual house. He's going to talk about stones. And, and what he's saying is like, you know, when you're building something, there, back then there's a stone. It's a cornerstone or a capstone sometimes they'll talk about. The capstone will, will fit on top and hold everything together. A cornerstone will brace a lot of the weight. And it's what all the other stones are kind of built around and stuff like that. And this is what he's saying about Jesus, right? He, he's this cornerstone. He's the foundation of everything. He's like, it's the cornerstone that the original builders rejected. But now he's become the chief cornerstone of which you will build your life around. You yourselves are, are like living stones, and you're being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, right? To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So what are your spiritual sacrifices? And here's where we're going to end it. Okay? I love, I think it's William McDonald who had a few things here that I, I just want to, I'd say they're too good not to share. So spiritual sacrifices, what are they? Romans 12.1, you can throw it up there. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a holy and pleasing to God, this is your true worship. Next one, 12-2, I think I have that up there too. Yeah, do not be conformed to this age, but be trans, what's that word? By the, of your, so that you may discern what is good and pleasing and perfect will of God. So one of your spiritual sacrifices is, is yourself. You are a living sacrifice. See, Jesus was a sacrifice you know, unto death, and then he was resurrected, you are a sacrifice, your sacrifice is your life. Being transformed, leaving the past, coming into the newness of, of who he is. And so now my life is, Paul would also say, is no longer my own. Belongs to him, and I will live it for his will. Secondly, you have what is called the sacrifice of praise in Hebrews 13, 15. You can pull that up. Drum roll. 
There he goes. Therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of the lips that confess his name. A sacrifice of praise. Is it a sacrifice of praise when I'm praising God when everything is going right? But sometimes a sacrifice of praise is lifting my voice and lifting my heart to him in the midst of what I view as everything going wrong and not working. In the midst of me feeling like the biggest failure that's ever walked on the earth. That maybe I've disappointed him over and over and over again. That maybe I'm not good enough here and all these different kinds of things. But in the midst of whatever trial and temptation that I'm going through or that you're going through, you're like, I'm I'm lifting up the sacrifice of praise. God, I may not feel it, but I live by your word and I declare it. And I will worship you in the midst of a saint going to heaven. And maybe not understanding why. In the midst of a world that is going crazy, yet, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. Because this world is not the end. Hebrews 13, 16 talks about a sacrifice of good works. Next one down. Do not neglect what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifice. Do not neglect to do what is what? And to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifice. So do not neglect to do what is good, because doing good is a sacrifice unto yourself. It may cost you something. Maybe it's, I'll just do it in, maybe somebody is struggling and you have what they need. Maybe showing the, I mean, somebody giving a car for the Bostics to use. You don't think that's a sacrifice of good work? To save a missionary thousands of dollars? Right? It's like, this is, this is what pleases God. So I'm not doing this to earn anything from God. I'm doing this out of the blessings of what God has given me. Even giving to the point where, well, I may not have as much as I had, but I, I know that I cannot give, give God. I just can't. And I know that if I'm hearing him and operating in faith, whatever I do, he's not going to let me. He's, he's going to replenish. He's that good. So sometimes, sometimes giving is a sacrifice. And the other thing here is um, a sacrifice of possessions in the same way, right? So do not neglect do what's good and to what? Share. They go hand in hand, but yet they're, I'm doing good, I'm helping people out, but also I've been blessed with so much stuff that, listen, listen, the reason we have garage sales that are so full down here that we don't know what to do with is because you got so much stuff. And at some point you're looking at all your stuff and you're going, good Lord, how did I inquire all of this stuff? And you're like, I got to get rid of this because I got more stuff. And I got to get rid of the old stuff for the new stuff. And what God is saying maybe is you don't need all the stuff. And so we share of our possessions because I'm not soul tied to them. 
Oh, they were my grandmother's doilies. I understand. I understand. But grandma's gone now. And maybe the 400-piece china set that you have displayed all over maybe can be used for his glory or shared. I don't know. But we have so much stuff that we cling to. If my house were to fall in an earthquake, the stuff in its basement, it would only fall about an inch. (laughs) Earthquake! Oh, we're good. There's like five households in that basement, right? At least I got a reason, people. So we need, to, we need to share. I don't want to hold on to stuff because it's so important to me that I can't bless other people who really are in need. Romans 15, 16 is a sacrifice of service. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles serving as a priest of the gospel of God. My purpose is that the Gentiles may be acceptable may be an acceptable offering and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. All right? To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. So what are we saying? It's a sacrifice of service. My time. See, if you would have given Paul a choice, he would have rather have been a minister to the Jews. But that wasn't given to him. It was given really to Peter. Paul, in all, all of his humanists, could have argued to the Jews. And I'm not saying he did. He, he would go and talk to Jews, but his mission was the Gentiles. His commissioning by the Lord was the Gentiles. And so God would send, in, in your own humanistic thinking, you would say, why would you not use somebody else? This guy seems to be really better and argue well for for the Jews. And, and he did to an extent, but his mission was not that. His mission was the Gentiles. His mission was building the church of God, and God commissioned him to do that. And so when you're talking about a sacrifice of service, the question here is, yes, are you doing what God has called you to do? Are you not doing what God has called you to do? Are you waiting for something? Because I think there's, there's a, a commissioning of service to everyone in some way, shape, or form. It may not be as big as platform, but it, it, there is something. And what is he calling you to sacrifice for? Maybe you want to do this thing. Like, man, I, I really feel that the calling of my life is to vacuum carpets. What if God has called you to wash walls? Hey, listen, man, washing walls is out of my wheelhouse. I'll do carpets but I, I, I can't wash walls or windows. But I'm, but I'm really feeling that God has called me to wash windows, but I don't really like that, so I'm going to vacuum instead. Now, I'm being silly, but put that into the broader picture of life. God has called people with a purpose to go to a place. Like, well, I don't really like that, so I'll just be a Bible teacher here. Or I'll just, uh, I'm still doing something for God. What does it really matter? I, I think it matters. I think if Paul would have said, hey, listen, 
Thank you for calling me. Thank you for saving me. But I've, I've rationalized this in my mind. And my ministry is really to the Jewish nation. I, I'm not really a big Gentile guy. I know you're, you're going to save them and they'll be there. And there'll probably be separate rooms in heaven, Jews and Gentiles. But really my calling is to the, the, the Jews, the, the Hebrew nation. That's my call. Now listen, he had a love for them. He had a desire for them. But he accepted his mission to the Gentiles. Because he loved God. And he was willing to sacrifice his life of what he wanted to do for the service of what the king had called him to do. Where are we? This is not about, you better get on it. This is about, hey, now's the time. Now's the time. I don't care how many years you may have been ignoring it or, or doing other things or any of this kind of stuff. Hey, now's the time. God is good. God is patient. God is long-suffering. And now is, is if there's things where you really feel God is calling you to do, but you're like wanting to go in another direction, now's the time to lock into to what he wants. Come in. Father, I've been disobedient. Forgive me. I'm locking myself into what you want me to do. My life, my money, my time, and my possessions are yours to do with as you wish. And I'm not going to be tied to the life on earth so much that I deny my life in you. Amen? Amen, man. Thanks for joining with us today. And if that message touched your heart in some way, please let us know by emailing us at info.kingdomlife at aol.com. You can also find us and reach out to us on Facebook. And we hope that you will join us again for another podcast from Kingdom Life Community Church.